0: Welcome to this uvula audio presentation of Starborn by Andrea Norton. Volume 8, Chapter 17, Destruction Unleashed The space they now entered had to be the core of the building, Ray thought a little dazedly, for there, towering over them, was the round bulb of the globe, and about its open hatch were piles of the material that he had last seen in the warehouse on the other continent. The unloading of the alien ship had been hastily interrupted. Since neither the Mermen nor Dalgard took cover, Rafe judged that they did not fear attack now. But when he turned his attention away from the ship, he found not only the colony scout, but most of the sea people, and gathered about him as if waiting for some action on his part. What do you want? He could feel it. That strong pressure, that band united in willing him into some move. His stubborn streak of independence made his reaction contrary. He was not going to be pushed into anything. In this hour... Dalgard spoke aloud, avoiding the mind-touch that might stiffen Rafe's rebellion. He wished that some older, wiser elder from Homeport were here. There was so little time. Yet this stranger, with practically no effort, might accomplish all they had come to do, if he could only be persuaded into action. In this hour... Here in the heart of what civilization remains to those others, destroy it and it will not matter whether they kill us. For in the days to come, they will have nothing left. Rafe understood now. This was why he had been brought here. They wanted him to use the blast bombs, and one part of him was calculating the best places to set his two remaining bombs for the wildest possible destruction. That part of him could accept the logic of Dalgard's reasoning. He doubted if the aliens could repair the globe if it was damaged, and he was sure that much that they had brought back from the eastern continent was irreplaceable. But the bombs had not been intended for such a use. They were defensive, anti-personnel weapons, to be employed as he had done against the lizard in the arena. But, placed properly, without thinking his hands went to the sealed pocket in the breast of his tunic, they would do the damage. Dalgard saw that gesture, and inside him some taut cord began to unwind. Then the stranger's hands dropped, and he swung around to face the colony scout squarely, a scowl twisting his black brows almost together. This is not my fight, he stated flatly. I've got to get back to the flitter, to my spacer. What was the matter? Dalgard tried to understand. If the aliens won now, the stranger was in as great danger as were the rest of them. Did he believe that those others would allow any colony to be established on a world they ruled? There will be no future for you here. He spoke slowly, trying with all his power to get through to the other. They will not allow you to found another home port. You will have no colony. Will you get it into your thick head, burst out the pilot, that I'm not here to start a colony? We can take off from this blasted planet whenever we want to. We did not come here to stay. Beneath the suntan, Dalgar's face whitened. The other hadn't come from an outlaw ship, seeking refuge across space, as his own people had fled to a new life from tyranny. His first fears had been correct. This was a representative of Pax. Doubtless sent to hunt down the descendants of those who had escaped its throttling dictatorship. The slender, strangely garbed Terran might be of the same blood as his own, but he was as great an enemy as those others. Pax. He didn't even realize that he had said the word aloud. The other laughed. You're living in history. Pax has been dead and gone almost two centuries. I'm from the Federation of Free Men, and will Will the stranger stranger use his fire now?" now? The question formed in Dalgard's mind. The mermen were growing impatient, as well they might. This was no time for talk, but action. Could Rafe be persuaded to aid them? A federation of free men? Free men? That was what they were fighting for here and now. "'You are free,' he said. "'The Sea People won their freedom "'when those others fought among themselves. "'My people came across the Star Void "'in search of freedom, "'paying in blood to win it. "'But these, these are not the weapons of the free.' he pointed to the supplies around the globe and to the globe itself. The mermen were waiting no longer. With the butts of their spears, they began to smash anything breakable. But the damage one could do by hand in the short space of time granted to them was simply limited. Rafe was surprised that a guard was not already down upon them. The piled-up secrets of an old race, a race that had once ruled a planet, he thought fleetingly of Lablet's preoccupation with this spoil of Hobart's hope of gaining knowledge they could take back with them. But would the aliens keep their part of the bargain? He no longer believed that. Why not give these barbarians a chance, and the human colonists? Surely he was breaking the stiffest rule of the service, but perhaps by now the flitter was gone, and he might never reach the RS-10. It was not his war, rightly enough, but he'd give the weaker side a fighting chance. Dalgard followed him into the globe ship, climbing the ladders to the engine level, watching with curious eyes as Rafe inspected the driving power of the ship and made the best disposition possible of one of the bombs. Then they were on the ladder once more as the ship shook under them, plates buckling as a great wound tore three decks apart. Rafe laughed recklessly. Now that he was committed to his course, he had a small boy delight in the destruction. They won't raise her again in a hurry, he confided to Dalgard, but the other did not share his triumph. They're coming. We have to move quickly, the scout urged. When they jumped from the hatch, they discovered that the mermen had been busy in their turn. As many of the supplies as they could move had been pushed and piled into one great mass. Broken crystal littered the floor in shards, and puddles of strange chemicals mingled smells to become a throat-rasping fog. Rafe eyed some of those doubtfully. Once again, Dalgard read his mind and waved the mermen back, sending them through the door to the ramp and the lower engine room. Rafe stood in the doorway, the bomb in his hand, knowing it was time for him to make the most accurate cast of his life. The sphere left his fingers, was a gleam in the murky air. It struck the pile of material. Then the whole world was hidden by a blinding glare. It was dark black dark and he was swinging back and forth through this total darkness he was a ball a blast bomb being tossed from hand to hand through the dark by painted warriors who laughed shrilly at his pain tossed through the dark fear such as he had never known even under the last acceleration pressure of the takeoff from terra beat through race veins away from his laboring heart he was helpless in the dark You're You're not not alone. alone. The words came out of somewhere. He didn't know whether he heard them or in some queer way felt them. You You are are safe. safe. You're You're not not alone. alone. That brought a measure of comfort, but he was still in the dark, and he was moving. He could not will his hands to move, yet he was moving. He was being carried. The flitter? He was back on the flitter? They were airborne. But who was piloting? "'Captain! Suriki!' he appealed for reassurance, and then was aware that there was no familiar motor hum, none of that pressure of rushing air to which he had been so long accustomed that he missed it only now. "'You are safe!' Again, that would be comfort, but Rafe tried to move his arms, twist his body, be sure that he rested in the flitter. Then another thought, only vaguely alarming at first, but which grew swiftly to panic proportions. He was in the alien globe. He was a prisoner. You are safe. The words beat in his mind. But where? Where am I? He felt as if he were screaming that at the full power of his lungs. He had to get out of this dark envelope and be free. Free. Free men. He was Rafe Kirby of the Federation of Free Men, member of the crew, of the spacer RS-10, but there had been something else about free men. Painfully, he pulled the fragments of pictures out of the past, assembled a jigsaw of wild action, and all of it ended in a blinding flash. Rafe cowered mentally, if not physically, as his mind seized upon that last word. Blinding. The blinding flash, and then this depth of darkness. Had he been you are safe maybe he was safe he thought with an anger born of honest fear but was he blind and where was he what had happened to him since that moment when the blast bomb had exploded i am blind he spat out wanting to be told that his fears were only fears and not the truth your Your eyes eyes are are covered." covered the answer came quickly enough and for a short space he was comforted until he realized that the reply was not a flat denial of his statement. Siriki, he tried again. Captain? Lablette? Your Your companions? companions, There was a moment of hesitation, and then came what he was sure was the truth. Have have escaped. escaped. Their ship ship took to to the the air air when the center center was invaded." invaded. So he wasn't on the flitter. That was Rafe's first reaction. Then... He had to still be with the Mermen, and with that young stranger who claimed to be one of the lost Terran colony. But they couldn't leave him behind. Rafe struggled against the power that held him motionless. Be Be quiet! quiet. That was not soothing. It had the snap of a command, so sharp and with such authority in it that he obeyed. You've You've been been hurt. hurt. The the gel gel has to to do do its work. work. Now Now sleep. sleep. It is is good to sleep. sleep. Dalgard walked by the hammock, using all the quieting power he possessed to ease the stranger, who now bore little resemblance to the lithe, swiftly moving, otherworldly figure of the day before, stripped of his burned rags of clothing, coated with the healing stuff of the merpeople, that thick jelly substance that was their bulwark against illness and hurt, and lashed into a hammock of sea fibers. He had the outward appearance of a thick bundle of supplies. The scout had seen miracles of healing performed by the gel. He could only hope for one now. Sleep. Sleep. He made the soothing suggestion over and over, and felt the other begin to relax and sink into the semi-coma in which he must rest for at least another day. It was true that they had watched the strange flying machine take off from a rooftop, and none of the mermen who had survived the battle that had raged through the city Had seen any of the off worlders' kind among the living or dead of the alien forces. Perhaps, thinking Rafe was dead, they had returned to their spaceship. Now there were other, more immediate problems to be met. They had done everything that they could to ensure the well being of the stranger, without whom they could not have delivered that one necessary blow that meant a new future for Astra. The aliens were not all dead. Some had gone down under the spears of the mermen, but more of the sea people had died by the superior weapons of their foes. To the aliens, until they discovered what had happened to the globe and its cargo, it would seem an overwhelming triumph, for less than a quarter of the invading force fought its way back to safety in the underground ways. Yes, it would appear to be a victory for those others, but now time was on the other side of the scales. Dalgard doubted if the globe would ever fly again, and the loss of the storehouse plunder could never be repaired. By its destruction, they had ensured the future for their people, the mermen, the slowly growing settlement at Homeport. They were well out of the city in the open country, traveling along a rocky gorge through which a river provided a highway to the sea. Dalgard had no idea as yet how he could win back across the waste of water to his own people. While the mermen with whom he had stormed the city were friendly, They were not of the tribes he knew, and their own connection with the eastern continent was through messages passed between islands and the depths. And then there was the stranger. Dalgard knew that the ship that had brought him to this planet was somewhere in the north. Perhaps when he recovered they could travel in that direction, but for the moment it was good just to be free, to feel the soft winds of summer lick his skin, to walk slowly under the sun, carrying the little bundle of things that belonged to the stranger, with a knife once more at his belt and friends about him. But within the quarter hour their peace was broken. Dalgar heard it first. His landsman's ears serving him were the complicated sense that gave the sea people warning did not operate. That shrill keening. He knew that of old. And at his warning, the majority of the mermen plunged into the stream, becoming drifting shadows below the surface of the water, only the four who were carrying the hammock stood their ground, but the scout, having told them to deposit their burden under the shelter of an overhanging ledge of rock, waved them to join their fellows. Until that menace in the sky was beaten, they dare not travel overland. Was it still after him alone, hunting him by some mysterious built-in sense as it had overseas? He could see it now, moving in circles back and forth across the gorge, probably ready to dive on any prey venturing into the open. Had it not been for the stranger, Dalgard could have taken to the water almost as quickly and easily as his companions, but they could not float the pilot down the stream, thus dissolving the thick coating of gel that was healing his terrible flash burns. And those others, were they following the trail of their mechanical hound as they had before? Dalgard set out questing tendrils of thought. Nowhere did he encounter the flashes that announced the proximity of those others. No, it would appear that they had unleashed the hound to do what damage it could, perhaps to serve them as a marker for a future counterattack. At present, it was alone, and he relayed that information to the mermen. If they could knock out the hound... His hand went to the tender scrape on his own scalp, where that box had left its glancing mark. If they could knock out the hound, then they would be safe, but... "'How?' "'As accurate marksmen as the mermen were with their spears, "'he was not sure they could bring down that box. "'It's sudden darts and dips were too erratic. "'Then what?' "'Because as long as it bobbed there, "'he and the prisoner were imprisoned in this pocket of the gorge wall. "'Dalgard sat down, "'the bundle of the stranger's belongings beside him. "'He carefully unfastened the scorched cloth that formed the bag "'and examined its contents.' There was the belt with its pouches, sheaths, and a tool case, and the weapon that the stranger had used to such good effect during their escape from the arena. Dalgard took up the gun. It was light in weight, and it fitted into his hand almost as if it had been molded to his measure. He aimed at the hovering box and pressed the button as he had seen the other do, with no results. The stun ray that had acted upon living creatures could not govern the delicate mechanism in the hound's interior. Dalgard laid it aside. There were no more bombs, nor would they have been effective against such a target. As far as he could see, there was nothing among Rafe's possessions that could help them now. One of the black shadows in the water moved to shore. The box swooped, death striking at the merman who ran to shelter. A second followed, eluding the attack of the Hound by a matter of inches. Now the box buzzed angrily. Dalgard, catching their thoughts, hurried to aid them. They undid the knots of the hammock about the helpless stranger, leaving about him only the necessary bandage ties. Now they had a crude net, woven, as Dalgard knew, of undersea fibers strong enough to hold captive, plunging monsters a dozen times the size of the box. Perhaps they could net it. He had seen the exploits of the merman hunters and knew their skill with net and spear, but to scoop a flying thing out of the air was a new problem. Not so, the thought cut across his.
1: They, they have, have used, used such as this, this to hunt, hunt us, before, us before, long ago. We,
0: we had believed they were all lost. It must, must be caught and broken, or, or it will hunt, hunt and, and kill and hunt again, for it does, does not tire, nor can it be beaten from any trail it is set upon. I will do that, for you have the knowledge, the scout cut in quickly. After his other meeting with the hound, he had no liking for the task he had taken on, but there had to be bait to draw the box within striking distance. Stand upright and move toward those rocks. The mermen changed position, the net now with stones and certain loops to weigh it, caught in their three-fingered hands dalgard moved, fighting against hunching his shoulders, against hurrying the pace. He saw the shadow of the flitting death and flung himself down beside the boulder the mermen had pointed out. Then he rolled over, half surprised not to be struck. The hound was still in the air, but over it now was draped the net, the rocks, in its fringes, weighing it down in spite of its jerky attempts to rise. In its struggles to be free, It might almost have led the watcher to believe it had a sort of intelligence. Now the mermen were coming out of the stream, picking up rocks as they advanced, and a hail of stones flew through the air, while others of the sea people sprang to catch the dangling ends of the net and drag the captive to the earth. In the end, they smashed it completely, burying the remains under a pile of rocks. Then, retrieving their net, they once more fastened Rafe into it and turned downstream as intent as ever upon reaching the sea. Dalgard wondered whether those others would ever discover what had become of their hound, or had it in some way communicated with its masters, so that now they were aware it had been destroyed. But he was sure they had nothing more to fear. That way to the sea was open. In mid-morning of the second day, they came upon shelving sand, and saw before them the waves that promised safety and escape to the mermen. Dalgard sat down in the grey-blue sand beside Rafe. The sea people had assured him that the stranger was making a good recovery, that within a matter of hours he could be freed from his cocoon of healing. Dalgard squinted at the sun, sparkling on the waves. Where to now? To the north where the spaceship waited? If what he read in Rafe's mind was true, the other wanted to leave Astra, to voyage back to that other world that was only a legend to Dalgard and a black, unhappy legend at that. If the elders were here, had a chance to contact these men from Terra, Dalgard's eyes narrowed, would they choose to? Another chain of thought had been slowly developing in his mind during these past hours, when he had been so closely companioned with the stranger, and almost he had come to a decision that would have seemed very odd even days before. No, there was no way of suddenly bringing the elders here, of transferring his burden of decision to them. Dalgard cupped his chin in his hand and tried to imagine what it would be like to shut oneself up in a small, metal-walled spacer and set out blindly to leave one world for another. His ancestors had done that, and they had traveled in cold sleep, ignorant of whether they would ever reach their goal. They'd been very brave, or very desperate men. But Dalgard measured sand, sun, and sky, watching the mermen sporting in the waves, For him, Astra was enough. He wanted nothing but this land, this world. There was nothing that drew him back. He would try to locate the spacer for the sake of the stranger. Astra owed Rafe all they could manage to give him. But the ship was as alien to Homeport as it now existed, as the city's transport globe might have been. Chapter 18 Not Yet Rafe lay on his back, cushioned in the sand. His face turned up to the sky. Moisture smarted in his eyes, trickled down his cheeks as he tried to will himself to see. The yellow haze that had been his day had faded into grayness, and now, to the dark, he feared so much that he dared not even speak of it. Somewhere over him, the stars were icy points of light, but he could not see them. They were very far away, but no farther than he was from safety from comfort. Now the spacer seemed a haven of ease, from the expert treatment that might save his sight. He supposed he should be thankful to that other one, who was a slow voice, speaking out of the mist, a thought now and then when his inner panic brought him almost to the breaking point. In some manner he'd been carried out of the reach of the aliens, treated for his searing wounds, and now he was led along, fed, and tended." Why didn't they just go away and leave him alone? He had no chance of reaching the spacer, after all. It was so easy to remember those mountains, the heights over which he had lifted the flitter. There wasn't a chance in a million of his winning over those and across the miles of empty plains beyond to where the RS-10 stood waiting, ready to rise again. The crew had to believe him dead. His fists clenched upon the sand and it gritted between his fingers and sifted away. Why wasn't he dead? Why had that barbarian dragged him here, continued to coax him, put food into his hands, those hands that were only vague shapes when he held them just before his straining, aching eyes? It's It's not not as as bad as as you think. think. The words came again out of the fog, spoken with a gentleness that rasped on Rafe's nerves. Healing is not not done in a a second, second, or even even a day. day. You You cannot force the return of strength. strength. A hand, warm and vibrant with life, pressed on his forehead. A human, flesh-covered hand. Not one of the cool, scaled paws of the furred people. Though those hands, too, had been laid upon him enough during the past few days, steadying him, leading him, guiding him to food and water. Now, under that firm, knowing touch, he felt some of the ever-present fear subside, felt a relaxation. "'My ship! They are going to take off without me!' He could not help but voice that plaint, as he had so many times before during that foggy nightmare journey. They haven't, haven't done, done it yet. That. He struggled up and flung off that calming hand, turning angrily toward where he thought the other was. How can you be so sure of that? Word has is come. Long. The, the ship, ship is still, still there, Lord though the small, small flyer has returned to it. it. This assurance was something new. Rafe's suspicions could not stand up against the note of certainty in the other's voice. He got awkwardly to his feet. If the ship was still there, then they had to still think him alive. They might come back. He had a chance, a real chance. Then then they are waiting for me. They will come. He could not see the soberness with which Dalgard listened to that. The starship had not lifted. That message had found its way south, passed along by Hopper and Merman. But the scout doubted if the explorers were waiting for the return of Rafe. He believed that they would not have left the city had they not thought the pilot already dead. As to going north now, his picture of the land ahead had been built up from reports gained from the sea people. It could be done, but with Rafe to be nursed and guided, lacking even the outrigger Dalgard had used in home waters, it would take days, weeks probably, to cover the territory that lay between them and the plains where the starship had planted it. But he owed Rafe a great deal, and it was summer, the season of warm calms. So far he had not been able to work out any plan for a return to his own land. It might be that they were both doomed to exile. But it was not necessary to face that dreary future yet, not until they had expended every possible effort. So now he said willingly enough, We are going north. Rafe sat down again in the sand. He wanted to run to push on until his feet were too tired to carry him any further. And now he fought that impulse and lay down once more, though he doubted if he could sleep. Dalgard watched the stars sketched out a map of action for the morning. They had to follow the shoreline where they could keep in touch with the mermen, though along this coast the sea-people did not come to land with the freedom their fellows showed on the eastern continent. They had lived too long in fear of those others. But since the war party had reached the coast, there had been no sign of any retaliation, and as several days passed, Dalgard had begun to believe they had little to fear. Perhaps the blow that they had struck at the heart of the citadel had been more drastic than they had hoped. He had listened since that hour in the gorge for the shrilling of one of those air hounds, and when it did not come, the thought that maybe it was the last of its kind had been heartening. At last the scout lay down beside the off-world man, listening to the soft hiss of the waves on the sand, the distant cluttering of night insects, and his last waking thought was a wish for his bow. There was another day of patient plodding, then two, then three. Rafe, led by the hand, helped over rocks and obstacles that were only dark blurs to his watering eyes raged inwardly, and sometimes outwardly, against the slowness of their advance and his own helplessness. His fear grew until he refused to credit the fact that the blurs were sharpening in outline, that he could now count five fingers on the hand he sometimes waved despairingly before his face. When he spoke of the future, he never said, if we reached the ship, but always when, refusing to admit that perhaps they would not be in time and Dalgard, by his anxiety, tried to get more news from the north. "'When we get there, will you come back to Earth with us?' the pilot asked suddenly on the fifth day. It was a question that Dalgard had once asked himself, but now he knew the answer, and there was only one that he dared give. "'We're not ready.' "'I don't understand what that means,' Rafe was almost querulous. "'It is your homeworld. Pax is gone.' The Federation would welcome you eagerly. Just think what it would mean. A Terran colony among the stars. A Terran colony. Dalgard put out a hand, steadied Rafe over a stretch of rough shingle. Yes, once we were a Terran colony, but can you now truthfully swear that I am a Terran, like yourself? Rafe faced the misty figure, trying to force his memory to put features there, to sharpen outlines. The scout was of middle height, a little shorter in stature than the crewman with whom the pilot had lived so long. His hair was fair, as was his skin under its suntan. He was unusually light on his feet and possessed a wiry strength that Rafe could testify to. But there was that disconcerting habit of mind-reading and other elusive differences. Dalgard smiled, though the other could not see it. You see? see? Deliberately, he used the mind-touch as if to accent those differences the more. Once, our roots were the same, but now, from these roots, different plants have grown, and we must be left to ourselves a space before we mingle once more. My father's 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 father was a Terran. But I am. What? We have something that you have not, just as you have developed during centuries of separation, qualities of mind and body that we do not know. You live with machines, and since we could not keep machines in this world, Having no power to repair or rebuild, we've been forced to turn in other directions. To go back to the old ways now would be throwing away clues to mysteries we have not yet fully explored. Turning aside from discoveries ready to be made. To you I'm a barbarian, hardly higher in the scale of civilization than the mermen. Rafe flushed. Would have given a quick and polite denial had he not known that his thoughts had been read. Dalgard laughed. His amusement was not directed against the pilot, rather it invited him to share the joke, and reluctantly, Rafe's peeling lips relaxed in a smile. But, he offered one argument the other had not cited, what if you go down this other path of yours so far that we no longer have any common meeting ground? He had forgotten his own problems and the others. I don't believe that will ever happen. Maybe our bodies will change. Climate, food ways of life can all influence the body. Our minds may change. Already my people, with each new generation, are better equipped to use the mind touch, can communicate more clearly with the animals and the mermen, but those who were in the beginning born of Terra shall always have a common heritage. There are and will be other lost colonies among the stars. We could not have been the only outlaws who broke forth during the rule of Pax and before the blight of that dictatorship, there were at least two expeditions that went forth on galactic explorations. A thousand years from now, stranger will meet with stranger, but when they make the sign of peace, and sit down with one another, they will find that words come more easily, though one may seem outwardly monstrous to the other. Only, now, we have to go our own way. We are youths, setting forth on our journey of testing, while the elders wish us well but stand aside. You don't want what we have to offer. This was a new idea, to Rafe. Did you truly want what the city people had to offer? That caught the pilot up. He could remember with unusual distinctness how he had disliked, somehow feared the things they had brought from the city storehouse, how he had privately hoped that Hobart and Lablette would be content to let well enough alone and not bring that knowledge of an alien race back with them. If he had not secretly known that aversion, he would not have been able to destroy the globe and the treasures piled about it. But, his protest was hot and angry, we are not like them. We can do a lot for you. Can Can you?" you? The calm question sank into his mind as might a stone into a troubled pool, and the ripples of its passing changed an idea or two. I wish you might see homeport. Maybe then it would be easier for you to understand. No, your knowledge is not corrupt. It would not carry the same seeds of disaster as that of those others. But it would be too easy for us to accept, to walk a softer road, to forget what we have so far won. Just give us time. Rafe cupped his palms over his watering eyes. He wanted badly to see clearly the other's face, to be able to read his expression yet it seemed that somehow he was able to see that sober face, as sincere as the words in his mind. "'You will come back again,' Dalgard said with certainty. "'And we'll be waiting, because you, Rafe Kirby, made it possible.' There was something so solemn about that that Rafe looked up in surprise. "'When you destroyed the core of those others holding, "'you gave us our chance. "'For had you not done that, we, the mermen,' and the other harmless, happy creatures of this world would have been wiped out. There would be no new beginning here, only a dark and horrible end. Rafe blinked. To his surprise, that other figure standing in the direct sunlight did not waver, and beyond the proudly held head was a stretch of turquoise sky. There! He could see color! Yes, Yes, you shall shall see see with with your your eyes, eyes, and and with your mind. mind. Now Dalgard spoke aloud. And if the spirit that rules all space is kind, you shall return to your own people, for you have served his cause well. Then, as if he were embarrassed by his own solemnity, Dalgard ended with a most prosaic inquiry. Would you like shellfish for eating? Moments later, wading out into the water-swirled sand, his boots kicked off, his toes feeling for the elusive shelled creatures no one could see. Rafe felt happier and freer than he could ever remember having been before. It was going to be all right. He could see. He would find the ship. He laughed aloud at nothing and heard an answering chuckle, and then a whoop of triumph from the scout stooping to claw one of their prey out of hiding. It was after they had eaten that Dalgard asked another question, one which did not seem important to Rafe. Do you have a close friend among the crew of your ship? Rafe hesitated. Now he was obliged to consider the point. Did he have any friends, let alone a close one, among the crew of the RS-10? Certainly he did not claim Wanstead, who had shared his quarters. He honestly did not care if he ever saw him again. The officers? The experts such as Lablet? Quickly the face and character of each swept through his mind, and was as swiftly discarded. There was Siriki. He could not claim the Comtech as any special friend, but at least during their period together among the aliens, he had come to know him better. Now, as if Dalgard had read his mind, and he probably had, thought Rafe with a flash of old resentment, he had another question. And what was, is he like? Though the pilot could see little reason for this, he answered as best he could, "'trying to build first the physical picture of the Comtec "'and then doing a little guessing as to what lay under the other's space-burnt skin. "'Dalgard lay on his back, gazing up into the blue-green sky, "'yet Rafe knew he was intent on every word. "'A merman padded up and settled down cross-legged beside the scout, "'as if he too were enthralled by the pilot's halting description "'of a man he might never see again. "'Then a second of the sea-people came, and a third, "'until Rafe felt that some sort of a noiseless council was in progress. His words trailed away, and then Dalgard offered an explanation. "'It's going to take us many, many days to reach the place where your ship is, and before we're able to complete that journey, your friends may be gone. So we're going to try something else. With your aid.' Ray fingered the little bundle of his possessions. Even his helmet with its com phone was missing. "'No,' Again, Dalgard read his mind. Your machines are of no use to you now. We're going to try our way. How? Wild thoughts of a big signal fire came to his head. But how could that be sighted across a mountain range? Or perhaps some sort of improvised comm unit? No, No, I I said said our way. way. There was a smile on Dalgard's face, visible to Rafe's slowly clearing vision. We shall provide another kind of machine. And these, he waved at the mermen, will give us the power, or so we hope. Lie down here, he gestured to the sand beside him, and think only of your friend and the ship and his natural surroundings. Try to hold that picture constant in your mind, letting no other thought trouble it. Do you mean that you want to send a message to Soriki mentally? Rafe's reply was half protest. Didn't I reach you that way when we were in the city? Even before I knew of you as an individual? The scout reminded him. And such messages are doubly possible when they're sent from friend to friend. But we were close to each other then. That is why they're helping us. Again, Dalgard indicated the mermen. For them, this is the natural means of communication. They will pick up your reaching thought and amplify it with their power and beam it north. Since your friend deals with matters of communication, let us hope he will be sensitive to this method. Rafe was only half convinced that it might work, but he remembered how Dalgard had established contact with him before, as the scout pointed out, they had met. It was that voiceless cry for aid that had pulled him into this adventure in the first place. It was only fitting that something of the same process gave him help in return. Obediently, he stretched out on the sand and closed his dim eyes, Trying to picture Siriki in the small cabin that held the calm, slouched in his bucket seat, his deceptive posture that of a lax idler, as he had seen him so many times. Soriki, his broad face with its flat cheekbones, its wide, cheerful mouth, its heavy lidded eyes. And having fixed Siriki's face, he tried to believe that he was now confronting the Comtec, speaking directly to him. Come! Come and get me, South, Seashore, Soriki, come and get me. The words formed a kind of chant, a chant aimed at that familiar face in its familiar surroundings. South, come and get me. Rafe struggled to think only of that, to allow nothing to break through that chant or disturb his picture of the scene he had called from memory. How long that attempt at communication lasted, the pilot could not tell, for somehow he had slipped from the deep concentration into sleep, dreamless and untroubled, from which he awoke with the befogged feeling that something important had happened. But had he gotten through? The ring of mermen was gone, and it was dawn, gray, chill, with the forewarnings of rain in the air. He was reassured because he was certain that in spite of the gloom, His sight was a fraction clearer than it had been the day before. But had they gotten through? As he arose brushing the sand from him, he saw the scout splashing out of the sea. A fish impaled on his spear. Did we get through? Rafe blurted out. Since your friend cannot reply with the mind touch, we don't know. But later we shall try again. To Rafe's peering gaze, Dalgar's face had a drawn gaunt look. "'as if he had been hard at labor during the hours past. "'He walked up the beach slowly, "'without the springing step that Rafe had come to associate with him. "'As he settled down to gut the fish with one of the bone knives, "'the scout repeated, "'We can try again.' "'Half an hour later, as the rain swept in from the sea, "'Rafe knew that they would not have to try. "'His head went up, his face eager.' He had known that sound too long and too well to ever mistake it. It was the drone of a flitter motor, cutting through the swish of the falling water. Some trick of the cliffs behind them must be magnifying and projecting the sound, for he could not sight the machine. But it was coming. He whirled to Dalgard, only to see that the other was on his feet and had taken up his spear. "'It's the flitter! Suriki heard us! They're coming!' Rafe hastened to reassure him. For the last time, he saw Dalgard's slow, warm smile, clearer than he had ever seen it before. Then the scout turned and trotted away toward a fringing rock wall. Before he dropped out of sight behind that barrier, he raised the spear in salute. Swift Swift and and fortunate fortunate voyaging. Voyaging. He gave the farewell of Homeport. Then Rafe understood. The colonist meant just what he had said. He wanted no contact with the spaceship. To Rafe he had owed a debt, and now that was paid. But the time was not yet when the men of Astra and the men of Terra should meet. A hundred years from now, perhaps, or a thousand, but not yet. And remembering what had summoned the flitter winging toward him, Rafe drew a deep breath. What would the men of Astra accomplish in a hundred years? What could those of Terra do to match them in knowledge? It was a challenge, and he alone knew just how much of a challenge. Homeport had to remain a secret. He had been guided to this place, saved by the Mermen alone. Dalgard and his people must not exist as far as the crew of the RS-10 were concerned. For the last time he experienced the intimacy of the mind-touch. That is is it, it, brother. brother. Then the sensation was gone, as the black blot of the flitter buzzed out of the clouds. From behind the rocks, Dalgard watched the pilot enter the strange machine. For a single moment, he had an impulse to shout, to run forward, to surrender to his desire to see the others, the ship that had brought them through space and would, they confidently believed, take them back to Terra, a Terra he knew only as a legend of the past. But he mastered that desire. He had been right. The road had already forked, and there was no going back. He had to carry the secret all the rest of his life. He had to be strong-willed enough so that Homeport would never know. Time. Give them time to be what they could be. Then they could meet, in a hundred years or a thousand, but not yet. The end. This is your narrator, Jim Campanella. We hope that you have enjoyed this Uvula Audio presentation of Starborn by Adrian Norton. The space theme was composed by Dewey DeLay and can be found on sounddogs.com. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at Audio uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com. You can become a Facebook fan of Uvula Audio, Just do a search for Uvula Audio on Facebook or go to the main Uvula Audio webpage where we have a link. We are listed on iTunes and you can subscribe and download our podcasts from there for free. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for Uvula Audio mugs, bags, t-shirts, etc. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. Let me remind you listeners that we are a nonprofit group and that the Uvula Audio website does cost money to maintain. We do not charge anything for the majority of our podcasts or bookcasts. If you like our presentations, please feel free to tip us whatever amount you may like using the secure PayPal link. All money will go toward helping us maintain the website and presenting new bookcasts in the future. Our next adult bookcast will be returning to the area of nonfiction and a classic of Christian literature we will be presenting the Confessions of St. Augustine. It took a while to find a good translation, but we think that you will find the R.S. Pine Coffin version, one of the best and most accessible versions that there are out there. In his youth, Augustine was a serious bad boy, on par with the modern-day Charlie Sheen. But With the help of God and his mother's prayers, he literally turned his life around 180 degrees to eventually become a priest and the bishop of the city of Hippo. On the kid side of the bookcast, we will be next presenting L. Frank Baum's sequel to The Twinkle Tales, Policeman Blue Jay. This is a full length novel that features the return of Twinkle and Chubbins and their adventures in Birdland. From all of us at Ubula Audio, we thank you.